9-11, we've been hearing a lot about our heroes in the police, fire department, and other emergency servants. But who cares for those who care for us? Chaplains. They're not just found in hospitals. We also have a suggestion of the week and tech tip that are related and have enormous potential to become a huge resource for the church. Also, stay tuned for a personal announcement at the end of the program. With our military so active in the Middle East, we might hear a lot about military chaplains, but we have chaplains helping out right here at home. They're police chaplains, and they're helping our bravest public servants. Today we have Reverend Paul Goddard, an emeritus pastor who continues to serve as a police chaplain. Welcome, Paul. Hello. So how did you get involved in police chaplaincy? It was, I guess you'd say, by accident. Quite, well, quite literally by accident. My One of my first years in St. James, uh, there was a traffic accident just a few blocks from the church. They said that one of my members was involved, and so I headed straight for the hospital and ended up, even though it wasn't one of my members, I ended up counseling the family and helping the emergency room staff. And a year or so after that, the police chief called me in and asked me if I'd be willing to serve because he had seen me respond to that accident and had seen me involved in a few other things in the community. I had what he wanted for a chaplain. So what kind of things do you do as a police chaplain? It's a Heinz 57 mixture. My primary duties are working with the community, uh, things like responding to accident scenes, be there to help counsel, provide transportation if necessary, you know, like if someone's car is destroyed but they're, you know, not needing to go to the hospital, I may, you know, take them home or take them to a local motel and, sure. you know, let them contact family. Uh, I do some domestic violence counseling. Uh, I'm available for the our officers in the event, that, you know, they would like some counseling with any kind of, or excuse me, without any kind of uh, repercussions or anything, you know, something that they know is going to be confidential. Uh, do death notifications, particularly if someone from or someone related to someone in our area is killed or dies out of town, then uh, I will go with the local law enforcement agency. I, Even though I'm assigned to the St. James Police Department, I work uh, every emergency service department in the area. And so if there's a death notification made, I go along with so that I can counsel with the family and help contact their own pastor, kind of get the ball rolling in terms of the spiritual care following an incident like that. Sure. It's usually, you know, traffic accident related, uh, things of that nature. Uh, also, uh, when there's an at-home death, which most often is, you know, involving an elderly couple, uh, I will go and be with the widower widower during that initial few hours until, you know, their family or their own pastor can get there. And then, not really chaplain related, but I also assist the department things like when we, in fact, I'll be doing it Saturday when we have parades, things of this nature, that even though I'm not a commissioned officer, I am. Uh, authorized to do things like 
like uh, traffic control, you know, the non-law enforcement type sure. things that help out. So I, I'm sure that it varies greatly from week to week, but on average, how long would you, how much time um, actually goes into something like that? I would say a normal month, if I put in 8 to 12 hours in a month, that's a heavy month. Since my wife's death three months ago, well, actually, since her diagnosis of cancer October of last year, I had cut back to almost nothing at all because I was, you know, concentrating on sure. caring for her. But um, it kind of goes in spurts. There may be months where there's nothing for me to do at all except an occasional ride-along just to get to know the officers, and then suddenly... I may have a week where I get called out in the middle of the night, maybe three or four nights in a row. And as I mentioned, it is just our own department. I may get called out by the sheriff's department, the ambulance service, fire department, highway patrol, FBI, you know, whoever needs me, I'm on call. You mentioned um, how you got started. How long ago was that? Uh, I've got to go by my memory because I don't have my badge and ID sure. with in hand right now, Roughly. but I believe I started in 1992. So what, did you have to go through any special schooling or training or anything like that to become a police chaplain? The department, when I came on as police chaplain, had no guidelines in terms of what their chaplain would do, what qualifications they needed, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I actually contacted a number of departments throughout Missouri and in a few other states and got their guidelines and then from there drew up guidelines. But in working with the chief, we determined that while additional training, you know, was a good idea and that it wasn't going to be a requirement. That, mm-hmm. uh, but I have gone, we have a group called the International Conference of Police Chaplains and either once or twice a year they hold regional training seminars and it'll be things like uh, death notification procedures, getting to know the, say, the life and the stress of law enforcement officers so that you know better what they're going through, you know, things of this nature. And then after you've got so many hours and meet certain criteria, you can be certified as a chaplain. Okay. So I've, I've had about uh, two of those sessions, I think. But, uh, most of what I've done in terms of my training for police chaplaincy is um, some graduate work at the seminary, and I've also taken some outside class work offered by the groups similar. Well, one of them is the Missouri Deputy Sheriff's Association. There are a few other groups like that. Uh, class on sudden and violent death and various topics that would serve me as a chaplain. Uh, even trained to be a bereavement counselor for couples who lose a little one, either stillborn or premature, you know, doesn't survive long. Mm-hmm. That's valuable information, and a lot of pastors could really benefit from that, even if they're not involved in the sort of chaplaincy programs. Yeah, it's amazing. There's more out there in terms of educational opportunities than what we sometimes realize. So do you have any interesting stories from your work as a police chaplain that you'd like to share? I would probably have to say, I don't know if you'd 
really call it interesting, but more ironic. A few years ago, the Highway Patrol called and asked if I would go with them on a death notification, and I met them at our police station. They attempted to contact the family of the victim and were unable to make any contact. Uh, I worked with them, you know, researching where the family member we were trying to contact was employed, mm-hmm. going to that place of employment. You know, just We spent hours searching, trying to find the person, and it got to the point where the state trooper was concerned that, you know, we're hours past the death and family has not been notified we need to do something. Right. He said, I have a card that this victim had in his wallet that listed his sister as an additional contact mm. so that, you know, maybe we should go ahead and notify the sister and maybe she'll be able to contact the rest of the family. Right. He hands me the contact information and the sister we were trying to find was a member of my own congregation. Really? So after all that work? Yeah. Wow. And it was a difficult notification. Oh, I'm sure. None of them are easy. When it's someone you're close to that you've got to bring the news to, it sure. really makes a difference. Yeah, because then you're you're grieving for that person's loss, too. Yeah. Now, my first death notification, I wasn't even in my jurisdiction. I was coming back from St. Louis, and it was during a period when they were doing construction on the interstate, so traffic was backed up for miles. And a call came out over the radio of a fatal accident along the interstate a few miles ahead of me. At the time, they had determined that the chaplains were able to run lights and siren. And so I had light and the siren unit in the car, and so I just hit my lights and siren and took to the shoulder and got to the accident scene and ended up counseling two truck drivers that witnessed the accident and then counseling with the family afterwards. And at that point, I had not had any of my specialized training, particularly in the sudden and violent death area. Kind of sure. So it was really kind of a blessing in disguise to have not had that because it was just a few weeks later when I took the class on sudden and violent death. And so I was able to go into the class with questions already in mind. Sure. Yeah. Because yeah. I'd been through it, so I knew the kind of things that I did wrong or maybe did right that I could just ask and say, okay, now, you know, how should I have done this different or, you know, was this right? Was this wrong? Yeah, it's like the ultimate field work. Yes. Any other stories that stick out in your mind? Well, there is one kind of humorous story. Okay. Uh, as I mentioned, that I one of my responsibilities is to uh, respond to at-home deaths, and stay with the surviving spouse until family or their own pastor gets there. Mm-hmm. And I had one. Oh, I'm going to say it was like two or three o'clock. And it was on one of these, I think they call them cul-de-sacs. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have an address, but they said the garage, instead of facing the street, is actually on the end of the house. And you'll see the garage door open. Okay. So I pulled in, found the house that was lit up, and had the garage door open, walked in, counseled with the widow, stayed with her till family got there and thing. About a year later, almost to the day, I got another death notification call. And they said, we don't have the exact address, but this is the street it's on. And I pull into this cul-de-sac, and there's this 
house with the garage on the end and the garage door open. And it's looking very familiar. And I'm trying to figure out why this house looks so familiar. I walk into the garage. I hit what I think is the doorbell, and it turns out to be the button for closing the garage door. <laughs> and when I went into the house, I almost had a very bad slip of the tongue and said, I suddenly realized why this house looks so familiar because someone died here a year ago. And what I didn't know at, the, at that time, uh, when they first called me, it was just the person had been taken by ambulance, but they had already been pronounced dead, but the widow was not informed. You know, she was waiting for them to continue working at the hospital. So I almost let the cat out of the bag on that one. Hmm. And I told my wife, I said, when retirement time comes, if that house ever goes up for sale, we're not buying it. <laughs> but I thoroughly enjoy working with the officers, especially, like I say, with the public. It's amazing, you know, how many times you find someone in need, whether it's, you know, they're going through grief, whether they're someone traveling through who's broken down and has no way to get where they're going. Mm -hmm. Just last year, I believe it was, I drove up to Jeff City to pick up a gentleman who had an accident and needed to be brought back home to St. James. So there's a, a real wide variety. Some departments, very specific things you do, but with our department, it's a little bit, I don't want to say loose, but uh, more flexible in terms of the type of things that I can do to help. Sure. Well, and, you know, one thing about grief counseling and, and, you know, that sort of crisis counseling and things like that is that people, I imagine, tend to be very appreciative uh, of your presence. Um, sort of reminds me of the statement that I've heard a lot of pastors say that they'd rather do ten funerals than one wedding just because with the, um, with funerals you have people that, that desperately need to hear a word of comfort and Often with weddings, people are more concerned about the, the little details of the ceremony and and things like that. So, in, I know in my experience, I found that uh, it's uh, pretty rare to have anybody complain about a funeral uh, when it's all said and done, because they're they're already grieving and they're just looking for something, you know, some word of comfort, something to help them through it, and uh, hearing the gospel and being reassured of God's presence and his love really, um, really helps them out. Yeah. One downside to chaplaincy is the fact that the normal criteria and guidelines are that you don't do a follow-up unless it's you know, specifically requested because you don't want to intrude on you know, someone else's ministry that you're there for sure. the crisis situation, and then you hand it over to that person's own pastor. But not knowing, you know, how a particular family came out following, you know, whatever their crisis happened to be. Um, you know, once in a while, uh, I may help a family and, you know, get a card months or even a year or so later just saying, you know, we remembered what you did, you know, thank you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Basically, I view it as I bring the comfort of the gospel and let God's work do its work and yeah. go from there. Yeah, don't have to worry about uh, you know, producing results or anything like that. Just simply sharing the message. 
So for those who are interested in police chaplaincy, where can they go for more information? Do you have any contact information or websites or anything like that? The International Conference of Police Chaplains is one source, uh, but what I would recommend is if they're interested, uh, check with their local police departments or you know any law enforcement agency in their area, see if there's a need for a chaplain. The other thing they can do is to go to our Synod's Board for Human Care Ministry, and they can get additional information from them in terms of police chaplaincy and how to get started in it. But quite often, especially in smaller towns, you will find that if you just go talk to the police chief or the local sheriff, they will very frequently welcome you with open arms because they are so desperate to have someone there who can handle these crisis situations. So their officers, instead of trying to counsel, can do their law enforcement type stuff and then, you know, get back out on the street. And then the chaplain stays behind to care for the family while the officer goes on with his or her routine. Sure. And that has probably, you know, from talking with our officers, has probably been one of the greatest benefits they found of having a police chaplain is it frees them up to do their job better more efficiently. Oh, absolutely. It's one of those location things that uh, I know police officers that they do their job very well, but when it comes to having to do uh, uh, sort of on-the-fly counseling, they feel very much out of their element. When a death notification is done, it's actually supposed to be the officer who does the notification, and then I do the counseling and grief support. Because just it's human nature that whoever brings the bad news immediately becomes the enemy. Mm-hmm. So the chaplain is the one to bring that news. Oftentimes it really hurts your effectiveness to be able to then counsel the family following the fact that you've just told them, you know, a loved one died. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've had a few officers, not uh, in our area, but when I've done death notifications in other parts of the state, where the officer would say, not me, I'm not about to tell them. You're the chaplain, you do it. <laughs> and so I've had to, you know, actually do the death notifications a time or two. Sure. Gotten mixed responses in terms of, like I say, usually it really affects the ability to continue with the counseling. But, you know, it's something that needs to be done. And it's just the difference between picking up the phone and having someone say, officer so-and-so, your son, your daughter, your husband, whatever, was killed in a car accident, or have someone come to the door and actually sit down with you, you know, speak to you about what's happened, give you whatever details you know, that you can give. You know, it's more personal. Uh, I think it's more supportive and comforting than just a phone call. And I think it really makes a difference in terms of how well they come through those initial hours. Sure. Well, Paul, I thank you for your time and for all of your hard work for the um, the people of your community, and um, and I, just, I appreciate the interview. Well, I enjoy the opportunity, even though my health will not allow me to continue in full-time ministry. At least I'm able to do a little something now and then to keep some sort of ministry going, and at the same time help to keep my brain active and functioning. Sure. Well, God's peace to you. Thank you. You too.
And now it's time for the product, the product suggestion, suggestion of, the of the week. This week's suggestion is a wiki whatabout. This is based off an idea from Lutheran Weekly listener Donald Harrison. You've probably heard about wikis, or at least the most popular wiki, Wikipedia. According to Wikipedia, a wiki is a group of web pages that allows users to add content, as on an internet forum, but also permits others, often completely unrestricted, to edit the content. This allows for multiple users, or even the general public, to modify posts. Now think about the sainted Dr. Al Berry's What About pamphlets. They were and are excellent. Some are available at lcms.org, but many aren't. Imagine a wiki What About that answers questions about Christian doctrine, or even one based on the Bible as a sort of wiki Concordia self-study Bible. It would have a limited or double access, where pastors or other seminary-trained theologians can comment, create new doctrinal articles or whatever's needed, but then the public has a separate section where they can post questions and comments like a blog's comment section. As more information about different topics, new cults, etc. becomes available, it can be instantly updated, revised, or whatever is needed. Take the Christian Cyclopedia that's posted on lcms.org and allow modifications. People who specialize in certain topics can really flesh out their specialty topics. This could be an absolutely tremendous resource for clergy and laity alike. Absolutely huge. Make it so. The tech tip this week is also from Mr. Harrison. So a big thank you, Donald, to you, and I encourage anyone else to either post or email me if you have thoughts or ideas. This week, I encourage churches to add a blog to your website for newsletter-style articles. When something happens in your community or in the world, pastors or other professional church workers can blog their comments and theological insights without waiting for the next newsletter. A blog also allows for feedback as members of the general public can post comments or further questions. It also adds content to your site, thus improving traffic and exposure for your site and your congregation, not to mention additional exposure for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before I talk about next week, I'd like some feedback. To this point, I've avoided news stories, though many other podcasts of this style do include it. Would you, our listeners, be interested in 10 to 15 minutes of news and commentary as part of the podcast? I've avoided it because as a pastor, I'm not used to offering opinion. I try to just stick to scriptural application. I leave my opinions at home, where my wife can critique me and prevent me from saying something stupid in public. So here's the question. Would you like the podcast to be 10 to 15 minutes longer to allow for news understanding that the podcast time varies as it is. There's no Lutheran news service out there, so what suggestions do you have for general Christian or related news? I have some thoughts, but I'm sure some of you have better ideas. Or is there anyone out there who'd be interested in serving as a news correspondent? You could report the news and offer your commentary, then send the sound file to me and I'll include it in the Lutheran Weekly. Pop over to the poll at lcmspastor.com forum and leave your opinion, no registration necessary, and leave your comments, which will require free registration to do that. The registration keeps the spam bots away. Or you can just email me at podcast at lcmspastor.com. Also, you've been hearing about our work on an international adoption. While things have changed, and while I can't give more details on it right now, our plans in international adoption have been suspended indefinitely, because of a different door that God appears to be opening unexpectedly, as he so often does. We have not actually received any donations yet, though, So, although we've had a few offers, and we appreciate the offers, so we have no conflicts there, and we don't have to worry about that part of it. 
Next week on Lutheran Weekly, our guest is a surprise, mainly because I'm still working out the details, so just tune in and find out. Well, that closes the book on another Lutheran Weekly. Remember that you can post comments on our forums at lcmspastor.com slash forum and ask questions of upcoming guests. Your questions will be read on the air during the interview. If you'd like to leave a voicemail to be aired on the show, you may call 206-339-7909 to leave a message. Thank you, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.